the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Hey, in this segment, we're going to give away two tickets to Thrive. It's a girls' night out that we are are sponsoring along with our sister station, The Fish. That's coming up on Saturday, January 27th, 6 o'clock p.m. at Gray Gables Estates. At the end of the segment, we'll give you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets, inviting you to come and to bring a sister girlfriend with you. So... I listen up for that. Well, the House gave the final stamp of approval today to a sweeping tax reform package, handing President Trump his first major legislative victory and most Americans a tax cut starting next year. In a 224-201 vote, Congress sent the $1.5 trillion package to Trump's desk. The biggest rewrite of the federal tax code since the Reagan administration will usher in steep rate cuts for American companies, double the deduction millions of families claim on their annual returns, and make a host of other changes, taking a in a matter of weeks. This bill, says um, the president during a cabinet meeting moments before the vote, this bill means more uh, take-home pay. It will be an incredible Christmas gift for hardworking Americans. And while the bill already earned House approval earlier Tuesday, the Senate had to uh, ship it back for a final vote after uh, stripping out three provisions that violated chamber rules, that Senate rules, in last-minute glitch. While Democrats uniformly opposed the package, the White House and GOP leaders were triumphant, vowing that the bill's uh, popularity would improve once taxpayers see the effect. And in fact, they took something of a victory lap at the Capitol as they loaded onto buses and celebrated their victory. It's going to give us better jobs, higher wages, bigger paychecks, and a simplified system. That's a quote from House Speaker Paul Ryan uh, on uh, Fox and Friends earlier in the day. The Tax Policy Center estimates that uh, 80% of taxpayers will see a tax cut next year. Democrats sustain their uh, vocal opposition to the bill. They're, they've dubbed it, uh, dubbed it rather a scam, benefiting the wealthy into the final moments. Protesters interrupted votes in both chambers during the Senate vote to overnight. They chanted, kill the bill, don't kill us, as Vice President Pence repeatedly called for order. Pence did not have to serve as the tiebreaker with the bill passing the Senate 51 to 48. Only Senator John McCain, who is recovering from brain cancer treatment, was not present for that vote. The passage of the bill just before the end of the year and the looming congressional recess gives Trump a long-awaited, a long-sought Capitol Hill victory after repeated attempts to overhaul Obamacare failed in the face of internal Republican divisions and unified Democratic opposition. Well, the tax bill does include one major rollback of the Affordable Care Act, repealing the individual mandate requiring Americans to buy health insurance. The changes to the tax system are more sweeping. The final bill, a combination of previously passed House and Senate legislation, would slash the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21%. It would double the standard deduction used by about two-thirds of U.S. households to $24,000 for married couples, and the $1,000 per child tax credit would double to $2,000 with up to $1,400 available. 
possible $1,400 available in IRS refunds for families who owe little or no taxes. The corporate tax cut would be permanent while the tax cuts for individuals would expire in 2026. They are subject to renewal prior to that, however. The Trump administration pre- uh, presumes that um, doubling the standard deduction would lead to even more families claiming it, but those who itemize would lose some deductions. The bill would uh, uh, set a new $10,000 cap on the deduction that millions use in connection with state and local income tax, property tax, and sales taxes. Uh, the cap remains in the final bill. It also would cap the mortgage interest deduction at $750,000, down from a million dollars. And it imposes a low one-time tax on companies' overseas earnings, nudging them to return money they've stashed abroad. At the same time, the bill would lower the top rate for individual and married filers from 39.6% to 37%. It would also set a deduction for pass-through business income at 20%, and it would curb the so-called estate tax. Well, these provisions and others fuel Democrat uh, complaints that the legislation was skewered in favor of corporations and the wealthy while expanding the deficit, which, uh, interesting enough, the Republicans care less about the Democrats finally have been awakened to. On the House floor on Tuesday, Representative Terry Sewell mocked Republicans who say passage of the bill would be a Christmas gift to the American people, saying, I have never seen such intellectual dishonesty. It's more like the Grinch that stole Christmas. Well, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi spoke in front of a giant sign that read GOP tax scam. Uh, the bill would bring average initial tax cuts for Americans across all income lines, but uh, by 2027, it would boost average levies for everyone earning up to $75,000, which includes most taxpayers. Congress's nonpartisan tax analyst estimated uh, earlier this week. A separate study by the Tax Policy Center, a private nonpartisan group, found that individual taxes would be reduced on average next year by $1,600. That ranged on average from $60 for people earning below $25,000 to $7,640 for those making above $149,000. Those in the top 1% earning $733,000 would see average tax cuts of $51,140. Again, the victory lap uh, in Washington having been taken by both the House and the Senate along with the President. Judge uh, Alex Kuczynski, a 32-year stalwart of the powerful Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, announced on Monday that he is retiring effective immediately after at least 15 women have accused him of everything from showing them inappropriate uh, images on a screen uh, to inappropriate comments to groping. The 67-year-old sort of defended himself, sort of, saying, I treat all my employees as family and work very closely with most of them. I would never intentionally do anything to offend anyone. And it is regrettable that a handful have been offended by something I may have said or done. Well, if, in fact, the things mentioned were said or done, it was offensive. Well, that's uh, open-ended. Kaczynski lamented his unusual sense of humor may have been offensive, and he declared his uh, resignation because I cannot be an effective judge and simultaneously fight this battle. Unfortunately for conservatives, the Romanian-born Kaczynski, a Ronald Reagan appointee, was a self-described libertarian and refugee from communism who faithfully upheld his oath to support and defend the U.S. Constitution. Uh, That, not yet another uh, man accused of sexual misconduct, is the point of the story. Well, the Ninth Circuit is the uh, is a whole uh, as a whole rather is far too. Um, one-sided, and Kaczynski's loss is something of a blow. Well, that said, President Trump will appoint his successor, and he has a fairly remarkable record on judicial appointments already. So far in this first year, 
He's had a, a total of 19 federal judges confirmed, including 12 circuit court judges and, of course, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. There are another 41 nominees pending to fill a portion of the 142 vacancies on the federal bench. And if he continues apace, his record on the court alone would be reason to count his presidency a success, or at least one that has a tremendous impact. Yet there's a huge caveat, as a Cato Institute Josh Blackman argues, if the Democrats take the Senate in 2018, which... Uh, became more likely after the recent election in Alabama. I fully expect Chairman Dianne Feinstein to deny hearings to virtually all of the president's judicial nominees. Thus, Republicans holding the Senate becomes all the more important. Again, quoting from Josh Blackman at the Cato Institute, referring to not only this appointment that the president now must make, uh, but others that may be uh, pending as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I want to take this moment to uh, offer you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets to Thrive, a girls' night out. Uh, tickets for January the 27th, that's a Saturday. The doors will open at 5.30, 6 o'clock p.m. The program begins at Gray Gables Estate. We would love for you to come bring a girlfriend, uh, and we'd like to give away a pair of tickets right now to caller number 4, one 800 845 That's 800-845-2162. Thrive. For more information, go to kpdq.com. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, Later this uh, this hour, and let me find my notes here because you need to know we've got some great guests coming up, and I shouldn't have mentioned that. Uh, earlier. Uh, Coming up, we're going to hear from Dr. Michelle Watson. She's going to join us to talk about the first chapter of Luke. And uh, we're going to wade our way through the various references to Zechariah, to Mary, to others, and um, what we can learn from their encounter uh, with the announcements of the coming of the Messiah. And then in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Pastor Rich Jones. We're going to take a look at what the scriptures, uh, what the prophets had to say, what they foretold about the coming of the Messiah, and surprisingly, what we find in the book of Revelations, as well as uh, what uh, the story of his first coming tells us about the story of his second coming. So he'll be joining us, Pastor Rich Jones, in the second hour of today's program. Well, President Trump is uh, well known for his uh, brash and and confrontational style of governing, but it could be the more diplomatic side of his administration that's generating some of the biggest victories of 2017. With all the debate over issues like the travel ban, the border wall, and health care, senior officials in the White House and State Department have quietly worked behind the scenes to resolve a major concern of the president, securing the release of American citizens detained by foreign governments and terror groups. Immediately after President Trump took office, he told Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to prioritize bringing home Americans who've been wrongfully detained or held hostage in foreign countries. That's uh, Heather Nowitt from the State Department uh, in an email. We are proud that we've been able to secure the release of several Americans as a result of U.S. diplomatic efforts. And while the administration's been successful in securing the release of numerous Americans held abroad, officials noted there are at least 10 other U.S. citizens like Joshua Holt in Venezuela who are being wrongly detained still. The work, Nowert went on to say, is not complete as we continue to press foreign governments for the release of other wrongly held U.S. citizens. From college students who ran afoul of the law aboard, uh, abroad to a family held for years by a terror group, uh, some of those who have been released, Otto Warmbier, as you might recall, one of the most highly publicized cases was that of University of Virginia student Otto Warmbier. It was also one of the most tragic as he died shortly after his return 
home. Caitlin Coleman and Joshua Boyle, Coleman and her Canadian husband, were kidnapped in October of 2012 by the Taliban-affiliated Haqqani Network while on a backpacking trip that took them into Afghanistan. They were held by the terror group for five years. The couple had three children while in captivity before being rescued as their captors attempted to move them across the border to Pakistan. After getting the uh, go-ahead from the president, Secretary of State Tillerson, and the defense secretary, James Mattis, U.S. diplomats and military officials gave Pakistan an ultimatum. Either they rescue the family or U.S. would uh, carry out the operation themselves. Pakistani forces eventually stopped a car suspected of carrying the family and found uh, them stuffed in the trunk. All uh, five, by the way. Saprina D'Souza, a former CIA agent, was set to be extradited from Portugal to Italy over the kidnapping of a Muslim cleric before an extraordinary effort by the administration back in March won her last-minute reprieve. D'Souza was one of 26 people convicted in absentia for the 2003 abduction of a radical Egyptian cleric. Um, also known as Abu Omar. He was uh, then transported for interrogation to his native Egypt, where he says he was uh, tortured. And while the White House remained uh, mum on its uh, role in the affair, the former representative, Pete Hostreka, a uh, spokesman for D'Souza, said officials within the administration worked to block her extradition. I can confirm that this would not have happened without extraordinary help from the Trump administration, Hoekstra went on to say. There's also Aya Hajazi. Shortly after uh, President Trump met with the Egyptian, uh, his Egyptian counterpart in April, the country released Egyptian-American charity worker Aya Hajazi uh, from prison after nearly three years uh, of detention. Uh, he and uh, or rather she and her husband had established a foundation to aid street children, but were arrested along with six others in 2014. The White House kept quiet about its role until after the release. And of course, the UCLA basketball players, uh, Trump personally took credit for the release of uh, the three um, who were held in China for shoplifting after the president asked the Chinese leader Xi Jinping to release them from custody, which in view of uh, the um uh, the case involving Otto uh, Warmbier uh, made it uh, all the more uh, exceptional. We're learning today that North Korea is beginning tests on mounting anthrax onto intercontinental ballistic missiles that would strike the United States, according to a report released today, just two days after the White House U.S. National Security Strategy stated that Kim Jong-un is pursuing chemical and biological weapons. The Hermit Kingdom is beginning experiments to test out if uh, anthrax can endure immense heat and pressure uh, it will uh, have to endure when loaded with an ICBM and launched toward the Earth's atmosphere. Japan's uh, newspaper reported, citing an unidentified person connected to South Korea's intelligence services. North Korea has started experiments such as heat and pressure equipment to prevent anthrax from uh, dying even at a high temperature of uh, over 7,000 degrees generated at the time of ICBM's reentry into the atmosphere, the report said. In part, there is uh, unconfirmed information that it has already succeeded in such experiments, end quote. Well, earlier this week, the White House uh, released the U.S. National Security Strategy, which is required by Congress, that said North Korea is pursuing chemical and biological weapons, which could also be delivered uh, by missile. North Korea, the country that starves 
its own people, has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on nuclear, chemical and biological weapons that could threaten our homeland, the document went on to say. North Korea vehemently denied the report and accused the U.S. of cooking up untruths as truths and using biological weapons during the Korean War. Properly speaking, it is the U.S. uh, stereotyped method to cook up untruths as truths, they went on to say. Well, it added it is none of... uh None other than the U.S. chattering on uh, morality and civilization, the criminal state that massacred the Korean people by uh, bacteriological weapons during the Korean War. Again, quoting from North Korea. South Korea has long suspected North Korea was developing biological weapons. Report by Harvard Kennedy School of uh, Belfar Center for Science and uh, International Affairs stated the uh, dictatorship may have anthrax and smallpox pathogens that could be turned into weapons. North Korea is uh, believed to have uh, uh, started its chemical and biological weapons program in the early 1960s and began possibly weaponizing biological agents in the 80s, according to the report. And finally, North Korea was behind the massive WannaCry cyber attack in May that spread across uh, the world, costing billions of dollars. White House Homeland Security Advisor Tom Bossert announced in a Wall Street Journal op-ed on Monday. In the article entitled, It's Official, North Korea is Behind WannaCry, he wrote that the Hermit Kingdom was the main culprit behind the May 2017 global cyber attack in which commuters Uh, Computers, rather, running Windows were targeted. During the infamous attack, data uh, were encrypted and ransom payments in the form of Bitcoin was demanded of users if they wanted their data back. Cybersecurity isn't easy, but simply... Uh, but simple uh, principles still apply. Accountability is one, cooperation another, Bosert's op-ed read. They are the cornerstones of security and resilience in any society. In a furtherance of both, and after careful investigation, the U.S. today publicly attributed the massive WannaCry cyber attack to North Korea. Well, I'm looking forward to changing uh, direction for the remainder of the program today as we anticipate celebrating Christmas together, the incarnation, the birth of Christ. Uh, joining me is Dr. Michelle uh, Watson. We're going to take a look at Luke, the first chapter, and uh, what uh, what the the characters there encountered in anticipation of the birth of Christ, and for that matter, John the Baptist. And then we're going to talk with uh, the pastor of um, Hillsborough Calvary Chapel, Pastor Rich Jones. We're going to take a look at what the prophets had to say about the coming of the Savior. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As you know, these last couple of days, we've spent time reflecting on the scriptures as they relate to the birth of Christ. And it's such a delight to me to have the opportunity to speak with some of our local pastors and some of the the great Christian leaders in our community. And my next guest, Dr. Michelle Watson, is among them. And I have to tell you, um, Michelle, I have been so looking forward to this because I feel like I have known you my whole life and in fact, I thought our paths had crossed much earlier than they actually have. And just now kind of discovering how we first met and how our paths have crossed over a period of time. But I've come to so um, appreciate the depth of your faith and wisdom. And we're so delighted that you're part of the KPDQ family now as well. I wanted to include you in this effort to just reflect on God's word um, during this season. So thank you for being here. And thanks for being my friend. Oh, it's my joy to be here. <laughs> I count you one of my closest heart friends too in the spirit. <laughs> now, as I mentioned, you're the host of a program that's heard here on KPDQ. QFM. 
um, at uh, on Mondays at two thirty, and you really focus on the hearts of fathers as they relate to your uh, to their daughters. And what a sweet program and what a sweet calling that God has on your life. Before we start, let's talk a little bit about your program so our listeners will know where to tune in on Mondays. Sure. It's called the Dad Whisperer, which is a name I was given by someone else that called me that, a dad of nine kids. He said, you know what you are? You really whisper to us dads. And I've had men say, we don't like women shouting at us. <laughs> but you whisper, which is truly only a, a calling that God has given me to speak into the hearts and the lives of dads with daughters primarily. And yet many men have said, wow, these things apply not only to me as a dad to my sons, but I'm changing even in how I respond to my wife or a girlfriend or the women in my life. So really, I whether it's me teaching or having guests on my show, it's all about equipping fathers to turn their hearts, not just their heads, towards their daughters. Mm, And what a sweet calling that is. The program is also heard on Saturdays on our 800 AM sister station, 1230 in the afternoon and 730 uh, in the evening. And again, it's just a real delight to have you part of the KPDQ family. You lend a a lot of richness and much needed wisdom to our lineup. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I wanted to focus our attention today on um, Luke, the first chapter, and there's so much there that we could talk about. Um, but uh, perhaps we'll begin with, um, oh, let's see. Uh, here we go. Um, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold there. And it's interesting to me that in focusing on the birth of Christ, that it begins with um, the birth of John the Baptist. And one of the things you and I had talked about is you sort of have a, a John the Baptist calling on your life. Yes. Um, Let's talk a little bit about him, his role, and what the scripture tells us about him that helps us better understand and appreciate the coming of the Savior. Yeah, well, I love how God is writing all of our stories beyond what we can even ever know, right? Mm -hmm. That's ahead. But he knows the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is to come. And I love how Luke 1 starts with setting the stage for someone who would proclaim Christ. And that's what he's calling all of us to be, isn't he? Proclaimers and truth tellers and testifiers of what God has done in our life. So when I think about the John the Baptist calling, as as I'm, you know, you and I are calling it, is that one day, it was in December of 2009, about the same time, eight years ago, I was reading in Luke 1, like many of us read this passage of scripture, and literally as I read in verse 17 that God said to Zechariah about his yet-to-be-born son, John, he's going to help turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, Michelle, that's what I want you to do. And I thought, what are you talking about? Like, I'm a woman who's never been married and you're calling me to turn the hearts of fathers. That's how you know it's God's voice when it comes fast. (laughs) It's not what you were thinking. And it lines up with the word of God. That's always my threefold way of knowing that's Mm -hmm. God's voice. If anyone listening says, well, how do you and Georgine hear God? I don't know how to do that. It comes fast. You're like, hmm, this just in. Two, it's it's not what I was just thinking. And three, it always lines up with the word of God. So I hear, Michelle, that's what I want you to do. And you know, Georgine, when it's God's voice, it sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just presses in. And two days later, I just heard the name The Abba Project. Abba meaning daddy in Aramaic. Men love a project. And so now for eight years, I've been gathering groups of men for nine months, every year, nine months, once a month for nine months, like a school year. And they're learning how to dial into their daughter's hearts. And it came from this passage of scripture. Luke 1 is my honestly very favorite chapter in the whole Bible. So I love that we're focusing there. But I I know this isn't just about my story, but it's saying to even those listening, 
Tune your ear to when you hear God's voice call you to something where you would disqualify yourself. I mean, I imagine John the Baptist might have done the same, like me, I'm Jesus' cousin. You know, I'm a little bit of an odd duck. I, I you know, live out in the wilderness and I have camel's hair on and I focus. <laughs> like, okay, interesting choice of person to herald Christ's coming. And yet God is calling all of us in unique ways. So just listen to what he's telling you this Christmas. Well, in fact, when, when Elijah is uh, told what's about to happen, or Zechariah, rather, is told what's going to happen, he really kind of questions, this really can't be from God. And he loses his voice as a consequence. Um, God removes from him the thing that allows him to communicate as a priest what God has called him to do. Um, it's temporary, and yet there's a consequence to mm-hmm. really doubting. Now, when you were called uh, to do what God has, has called, appointed, and equipped you to do, was there a moment of doubt? How did you respond to this impossible call to minister to uh, to men, um, given the fact that you haven't, as you pointed out, you haven't been married, you don't have children? How could I be the person to do this, <laughs> this job? Absolutely, that's what I thought. You know, again, aren't we always disqualifying ourselves? But God, but God, Mm -hmm. I'm not the one. And I truly believe he chooses those of us that don't believe we have enough or are enough or equipped enough because he's saying, good, then you're not going to compete with me for who gets the glory. (laughs) He's all about that, saying, good, I want to use a nobody who, who at least sees themselves as nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love even through this book of John how many times, I mean, excuse me, this chapter in Luke where... Over and over, we read that the Holy Spirit came on Mary, then came on Elizabeth, then came on Zechariah, and that even here before the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is falling on these people, equipping them to do what they don't think they can do, right? Mary's like, who am I to carry the Christ? Or I'm too young. And then you have Elizabeth saying, I'm too old. How could I be the one to carry a a child? And and God is saying, that's exactly the odds I love to work with, Mm -hmm. where you aren't qualified or capable of doing something that only I can do in you and through you. And ultimately, isn't that the the goal, to see God's power made perfect in and through us? Um, We tend to look at our weakness and say, well, that ultimately disqualifies me from effective ministry. I can't be used by God because. And yet that's the very thing that gives him a platform, an opportunity to glorify himself through us. And what a delight that he would choose to allow us to be a small part of that. I know. I want to go back to what you'd said, Georgine, about Zechariah losing his voice. Yes. This reminds me of about, it was probably 10, 12 years ago, I was leading worship at my church and felt real called at that point before this father calling to do that, to lead people in worship. Well, because every year would pass, it seemed that at Christmas I would get depressed every year. And at my birthday in May, I'd go down into a slump Mm. because I was single. Why is no man choosing me? Why am I not catching his gaze? Like, what about me is defective? You know, so this whole theme of God, why would you use me? Well, that played out for me big time as, as I'm sure you can imagine. You talk with a lot of people, hear a lot of stories that single women especially really struggle at Christmas with feeling like. It's the most wonderful, you know, and going, this doesn't feel like the most wonderful time of the year. All this is reminding me of is that I don't have someone special treating me special. So on one particular year, again, reading in this chapter that I absolutely love, I come to verse 20 where, you know, Zechariah is saying, you know, again, God, how can this be that you would give us a son or give us a child? And God takes away his voice. And on that particular year, again, fighting God on, don't you get the fact that I'm now at this point in my late 40s, time's passing, I don't think you're catching that fact, God. 
kind of fighting with him. And I literally heard the father say to me, I can take your voice. Mm. You want to keep making an issue of old age like Zechariah did? I can take your voice. And it wasn't one of those punitive kind of responses. It was he quickened me. Like it was a father-daughter talk of Michelle. Enough. You've complained. You've gone down. We're not doing this anymore. We're not going around this mountain again. And I literally laid it down about 10, 12 years ago and said, I will never fight you on the fact that I'm too old for you to use me because I want my voice to be used for you. And if anyone out there is like me, single, saying I'm fighting depression at this time of year, just open your your spirit up to what God is calling you to that may not involve marriage. Here I am, 57, still not married. I don't even care anymore. I'm like, I just want to get on with what God's called me to do, where he's using my voice. He's calling us to use our voices for him, single, married, child, adult. Let's let's make the thing that matters, like exalting Jesus, the main thing. Absolutely. You know, I had a similar experience, although I was at the other end of the continuum. I think I was about 10 or 11 years old, and my family annually, our church would um, meet with other churches in the Seattle area, and we'd have kind of a conference and it, it was long. It was loud. It, it was just, I'm a kid. And my sister and I were always invited to sing and we were invited and did sing at this one as well. And I remember I can even see the surrounding in this bathroom that I had gone. I'd gone into the bathroom and I didn't say it aloud, but I said in my heart, I, I don't want to be here. I'm a kid. I want to do, I don't want to do this. And I know that God had gifted my sister and I to sing for his glory. Our voices were given to us for a specific purpose. That's not true for everyone, but I knew that was true for me. And in just a moment, God took my voice away from me. I couldn't sing. I couldn't speak. And even though I was a very young girl, I understood what God was saying. Stop complaining. I have gifted you for a purpose, and I have given this to you for for a purpose. And I, you know, it's like in a flash, all of this came to me, and I understood what God was saying. Stop complaining. And I, I purposed in my heart, okay, I'm finished complaining. You've given me this voice. I will use it for you. And I'll use it with gratitude and with joy and humility. And he restored my voice. But for that, that very short period of time, just God and I all by ourselves in that little, uh, that little room, I understood what he was saying when he withdrew my, uh, my voice. And he is calling us to just delight in being used by him with the gifts that he's given us without complaint, without disqualifying ourselves or uh, wishing we had a, a different story than the one he's writing for us. Oh, I, I love that you just said, how many of us wish we had a different story mm-hmm. that God was writing? Because, you know, I've, I've sh- I felt God calling me to share more publicly, maybe the last four years or so, in different forums about my abuse history. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know many of us share that. We've, you know, had such an uprising with the Me Too movement lately about women coming forward with their stories. And yet I now, even with that, look back and say, God, you were purposeful. You didn't, you didn't wish this abuse that, you know, it broke your heart along with me, but I would not have the voice, you know, as a counselor, that's my profession by trade and by training. And even this voice here, I've been so honored that God would call me. Sometimes I just weep at, at the privilege that I have to partner with the triune God to make their truths known to this generation. And many times it's through our broken stories that we wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to write but God's like, I'm in the story. I'm in this. I'm writing this. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 38, 9 in the Message Bible that says, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Oh, I love that. God rewrote the text of my life 
when I open the book of my heart to his eyes. And I hear even you sharing that story as a little girl, never knowing God would call you to be a voice on the radio, you know, that he's saying, I'm writing this story for for you, Georgine, for you, Michelle, for all of us, that's bigger, harder, more complex than we would ever write. But I believe we trauma bond with God, the strongest Hmm. bond we can have by going through the valleys, the mountaintops, coming through it with him. And even the more difficult bits, I wouldn't trade because of what I've learned about his character. I've seen his hand at work on my life. And the the fruit of that um, of that partnership is just it's priceless. It cannot be compared to anything of any value. Now, we need to take a quick break, but we're going to continue our conversation. And we're taking a look at Luke, the first chapter. And of course, we find details about the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus and um, other details that the other books of the Bibles, the gospel um, gospels don't include. But we'll be back in just a few moments. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and Dr. Michelle Watson is my guest this afternoon as we have spent the last um, couple of days focusing on God's Word as it relates to the birth of Christ. I invited her to join uh, me and some pastors who've been coming in and out of the studio in the last couple of days to focus on different aspects of that story that God so graciously provides for us. Uh, in the Gospels. One of the things that uh, you and I were talking about um, yesterday as we were preparing for our conversation today is uh, the fact that there are glimpses of the Holy Spirit at work in in this story. We sometimes imagine that the Holy Spirit just showed up at Pentecost and that's when uh, the work began, but there are glimpses of His um, working not so much behind the scenes as one might imagine in the story of, of Mary, in Elizabeth's story, and even in Zechariah. Holy Spirit is so evident here in this story. I remember it was, I mean, I don't know how many years ago. I mean, here I'm a Bible school graduate and I never had even seen this in Luke 1, but how clearly the Holy Spirit is mentioned as being present, perhaps even before they knew yes. that that's who was active in their life. And I think of wherever we're at on our spiritual journey of seeking God, you know, I love how even in Psalms it says, they didn't know that it was I who healed them. And I think even here, they may not have even known that that was actually the Holy Spirit who was being given to them as a gift. And yet we see clearly in this passage how often the Holy Spirit was at work doing miraculous things in mm. them. One of my favorite uh, parts of the first chapter of Luke is the declaration to Mary of what's about to come. She knows about, she learns about her cousin Elizabeth, that she is pregnant um, and that had to have come as something of a surprise, given her advanced age and the fact that it was understood generally that uh, she and Zachariah were incapable of having children. Um, but Mary is is told what is about to happen. I, I notice with both Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're told, don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid. This is what God is going to accomplish. And Mary, here's a story that if you take it in its entirety, really is very frightening. It's not just the fact that you're going to conceive a child when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but all of the implications of what's just been announced. She understands the culture, what that means for her as an unwed uh, young girl. She knows what that means for her and in relationship to her betrothed. Uh, This is a really big announcement fraught with all kinds of perils. And yet her response um, to me is one of the most profound Uh, responses in all of scripture. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I love that verse 38 where where Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. I mean, I want everybody listening just to say that out loud with us. May May it be be as you you have said. said. That would be a life-changing statement to live by in 2018. If every time 
God throws a curveball. I think it's so easy to to get angry. God, why did you do it this way? But if every time, and this is a challenge to myself, if I would say, may it be as you have said, because I can tell you the honest truth, I don't fight the father like I used to when I was younger. I now see that he always works things together for good. And I go, who am I as the pot to tell Mm -hmm. the potter what to do? But may it be, I love that, to me, as you have said, and even a few verses before there, we were just talking about the Holy Spirit. Listen to this one in verse 35. The Holy, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So you see that here, the calling that God had that you were just underscoring, Georgine, that's about a reputation, was more than just birthing Jesus, yes. that forever she would carry that as a mother of Jesus, carrying all of what he was going through in her heart, even at the cross, we see that she was in distress. But look at how God said, but wait, 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 I've equipped you for this because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, giving you everything you need. But this one about the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I have the word power underscored in red in my Bible because the same power, right, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And this piece about the Most High will overshadow you. I just get that picture like in Psalm 91 of us being tucked under his wings for the calling that he has. We're not just out flying on our own, right? We're there. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. About maybe two weeks ago when I read this passage, the word overshadow, overshadow, overshadow just kept repeating in my spirit. In fact, a friend was asking me to pray about finals. And as I left a prayer on his voicemail, I kept using that word overshadow over mm. with the with the most high overshadow you in this process. But I think again, Christmas is a really hard time for a lot of people that have to face family challenges and maybe sickness challenges. But if we kept in mind, even getting a picture, I am overshadowed under the wings of the almighty God. I'm not out flying solo is I'm tucked safely there. Now, I think we'd go through Christmas a bit different. Oh, I think so. And I, I think it's important to emphasize that this wasn't just a singular event. He's not just talking about the moment of conception. He's talking about the walk that would begin at that moment, moving forward, that he would be present with her. It's sort of an Emmanuel moment before Emmanuel uh, has been given birth as a, a as a man, the son of, of man. I love what Mary says, and this is Mary's song, the scripture says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now, this is a prophetic word because she doesn't, she doesn't see this happening given what's just been announced to her, but he has, has filled her with that, uh, that declaration of, of joy. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. What a beautiful declaration she makes. And this, again, is, is evidence of the Holy Spirit in and through her because she, she would not have been able to say this on her own. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she is full of rejoicing at what has just been the most, what could have been the most devastating pronouncement that one could imagine for a teenage girl living in Nazareth at that time. Absolutely. Even when you read that, Georgine, two words jumped off the page just in my spirit, and it was the word humble. She even said, you've been mindful of the humble state of your servant. Like, I wonder, 
what that actually meant. What does humility mean? Mm. To me, just in a practical way, it means laying down my agenda and saying, God, I submit to whatever you've called me to, even if it's to share in your sufferings. I mean, how many people do we know that in this season, it's like, I don't want this to be my story, but humility before God is letting him write our story, laying down an agenda, which she clearly did, leading the way, I think, especially for us as women to follow in her footsteps. May it be to me, as you have said, God. Mm, That's my prayer for this Christmas season and beyond. Lord, I want to submit to you. I want to surrender. I want your life to be worked out in me as I just humble myself before you, recognizing what we both know to be true. And that is that I'm utterly dependent upon you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Nothing. It's not just I can do nothing of significance. I can do nothing. Mm -hmm. As you and I are talking here and we draw a breath, we're incapable of that apart from his 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 mercy and his provision. So I'm I'm so grateful for the story of Mary and this lengthy version of events surrounding the birth of Christ that um, that included uh, John the Baptist and the the cast of characters um, in these uh, these early days because it reminds us that God uses just regular folks. I mean, He's using us. He can use anybody exactly uh, to do great things. Mm. Amen and amen. <laughs> Well, I so appreciate your uh, joining us today. We have to do this again. I'd yeah, love I just, to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. In fact, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about um, what you do professionally in the ABBA project at some point uh, in the coming year. You, you got it. You got it. I the know. The coming year, 2018 is just days away. Anyway, thank you so much. Oh, and Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, too. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Sadly, we need to take a break, but we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, it's been fun talking with uh, pastors and leaders from our community about the Christmas story. And in this hour, we're going to talk with Pastor Rich Jones. I so enjoy uh, hearing him teach from the scriptures and having him here on the program. Pastor Jones, of course, is the uh, uh, the pastor at Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, and we're going to be talking about God's promised Messiah and what the prophets foretold. So, Pastor Rich, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely my privilege. Thanks for having me on the program. Now, generally, when you start talking about the Christmas story, we turn to the Gospels. We look at the Gospel of John that declares that uh, in the beginning was the Word. We look at Luke and look at, at Matthew. But we're going to be, begin our conversation in Revelations, which was written by John, um, but Revelation 12 tells us something about the coming of the Messiah. Well, Revelation 12 is an interesting twist on the uh, the Christmas story, and I think many people might be a little bit surprised that we <laughs> would actually find the Christmas story in Revelation 12. But Revelation 12 is actually... Um, very powerful in its insight because it gives you some of the the spiritual background and some of the spiritual warfare nature of Christ's birth. So let me just, if you don't mind, let me jump right in to read some of the first verses of of Revelation 12. And it tells us uh, in this vision John has, he says, uh, I'm starting in verse 1 here, uh, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Okay, so obviously we ask the question, okay, who is this woman? But it goes on to say, this woman is with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Okay, so now who is this child? And there is the Christmas story right there. But let's continue on just a Mm -hmm. little bit first. 
Verse 3 tells us, Another sign then appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Now, tells us then, in the very next verse, that this dragon stood before this woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, that gives us some insight into the spiritual warfare behind all this, because Mm -hmm. it says in verse 5 that she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was cut up to God and to his throne. That gives us the hint that is, in fact, the prophecy, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, who was born, of course, in Bethlehem. So, therefore, that woman is none other than the nation of Israel. But this great red dragon, it tells us in later verses, is none other than uh, the, the serpent of old, who was called the devil, or, you know, Satan. And and so him, the, the great red dragon, uh, standing before the woman about to give birth so that she, when she gave birth, he might devour her child, is none other than the Christmas story of when the Magi, uh, you know, came Seeing his star from the east, they came to Jerusalem saying, you know, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And Herod uh, the Great, um, who gave himself that title, by the way, um, who when he received them, he was greatly troubled at this because he was considered or called to be king of the Jews, but he was no Jew. Well, anyway... So there's where the story gets very, very interesting. And um, many people might be surprised to see there's actually a direct connection between Revelation 12 and the story of the Magi. You know, it's interesting to me, we are familiar with the portrait of the angels declaring uh, from the heavens, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But what you've just described is a behind-the-scenes spiritual battle that's raging over the coming of the Messiah uh, that we don't often think about, although we know that there is, uh, there are battles that take place outside of our, our purview. Well, absolutely right. And in fact, uh, since we're on Revelation 12, and you brought up that spiritual warfare nature of this, Revelation 12 tells us, um, and it really is in many ways kind of a history also of Satan himself, and you know, from Lucifer and being mm-hmm. cast out of heaven and, and uh, his angels with him. But it tells us in verse 13 of, of Revelation 12 that when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to that male child. Now that one verse right there, you could write next to it, the history of the world, mm. because that gives a, a summation of the persecution against the Jews that you can see throughout history. And there's that spiritual uh, background behind it, because you go all the way back to Lucifer and the intent uh, desire that he wanted to be like the Most High. And you can see, therefore, why he wants to devour this child who was God's promised Messiah, who will bring the gifts uh, that God wanted to bring and give to the, you know, the, the people that he loved on earth. And so you see the spiritual warfare uh, behind it, and you can see that nature continuing on today. And it, it, actually, um, it brings us to very current events, because of what's happening just recently when uh, the president declared that 
um, Jerusalem would be recognized by the United States as the capital of Israel and the full intent to move the embassy there has everything to do with last day's prophetic events. Well, it's interesting because Israel is the only nation on earth that the other nations have declined to acknowledge as their um, as their capital. Every nation decides this is our capital city, um, except for the nation of Israel. And making that pronouncement, as the president did most recently, that the U.N. Security Council recently rejected, um, it really does point to the unique nature of Israel being singled out as the only nation on earth uh, where they are not allowed to um, uh, to identify their own capital. It, it really is rather significant. Now, we don't think about it necessarily in the broader terms of of, um, of prophecy and what, you know, again, what's going on behind the scenes. How significant is this declaration on the part of the president that has stirred up so much controversy in terms of the unfolding of of uh, heavenly things? Well, it's very, very significant. And by the way, it was just in the news, I, I believe, this morning that the um, United States is vetoing a U.N. resolution yes. to condemn the United States um, for this move. Um, so it's still a very relevant matter, still a uh, uh, a hot issue that is unfolding before our eyes. But how significant is it is a great question, because Jerusalem actually will be the center of latter-day events. And Israel, yes, but Jerusalem in particular. And in fact, um, the Scripture tells us that when Messiah, the long-promised Messiah that we're referring to in the in the uh, Christmas story, uh, when he returns... At the end of the age, he will set foot on the Mount of Olives, he will enter into Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate, and he will rule and reign the nations from Jerusalem. And so how significant is Jerusalem? Very, very significant. It will be the center of uh, biblical prophecy unfolding. Now, what's also interesting, as we understand from prophecy, that the Antichrist will arise on the scene. Of course, uh, Scripture tells us who the power of the Antichrist is, none other than this same serpent of old. But this Antichrist, who arises on the scene, will make a covenant of peace with Israel and the nations of the world. Now, that's relevant to what's happening right now, because we are seeing the nations of the world aligning against Israel. So this Antichrist arises and is able to make this covenant of peace. By all appearances, he's a man of tremendous diplomacy and intellect and charisma, getting even Israel to believe that he is a man of peace. Well, as we know from Scripture, um, and this brings us all the way back to Daniel. It weaves together many interesting, fascinating scriptures. But he betrays that covenant. He betrays Israel. And we understand that part of that betraying is to take back the temple. And I'm convinced that part of that covenant of peace is the allowance for Israel to build a temple. But in that betraying of Israel, he takes back the temple, sets himself up in the Holy of Holies to be honored and recognized there, even to be worshipped there, Scripture says. But, and this is where many people, I think, uh, might be fascinating, uh, he betrays Israel by taking the city, not just the temple. He takes the city. The whole city. The whole city. And now, let me give you a Scripture, in case you're wondering, well, where is that found? Uh, Revelation 11. 
Uh, let me, if you don't mind, let me just read um, just the first couple of verses from there, because that's really relevant to our point here. Revelation 11 says, There was given to me, John is speaking here, there was given to me a measuring rod, like a staff, and someone said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it, but leave out the court which is outside the temple. Don't measure that, for it has been given to the nations. Now get this phrase here. And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months which is three and a half years, according to the Jewish calendar. They will tread underfoot. The nations will tread underfoot the holy city. That's Jerusalem for three and a half years, because now we understand from prophecy that the Antichrist betrays Israel halfway through that tribulation seven-year period, which is three and a half at the beginning, three and a half after that betrayal. Absolutely fascinating. When When you connect it to the Christmas story, uh, and, of course, the, the return of Christ. All of this is the promise through prophecy. Well, we wanted to focus on prophecy today, and I, I appreciate the link between our looking back and what was uh, was declared by the prophets before the birth of Christ, uh, the birth of Christ, and then looking forward to what the Scriptures tell us today, which really goes to my first question, and that is whether or not the nation of Israel um, was, in fact, really looking for the Messiah, if they expected him. And whether or not it was clear enough in what uh, was in Scripture for them to have recognized him when he came. Well, that is an absolutely amazing question and really important, because whether they did uh, is really connected to whether they should have. Mm -hmm. And clearly the, the prophecies in the book of Daniel indicate that they should have. So, for example, in in Matthew uh, chapter two, which is the story of the Magi coming, and uh, when the when the Magi come to Jerusalem and they they meet with uh, you know Herod the Great, where is he who was born King of the Jews? Well, Herod then turns to the uh, Jewish leadership, the priests and the scribes, and he wants them to tell him where is this Messiah supposed to be born, and they tell him in Bethlehem of Judea because it has been written by the prophet. See, they know right away, right? You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth the ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I mean, they were able to quote the prophecy. They knew exactly where he was supposed to be born. But I submit they also knew, according to the prophecy of Daniel, when he was to be born. Not the exact year, perhaps, mm-hmm. but the exact time frame, because the uh, prophecy of Daniel says that from the, the issuing of a decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem to the Messiah is a determined number of sets of years, in sets of seven, and there would be a total of 70 of these sets. But it tells us exactly when the Messiah would, would come, and he would be cut off at the 69th week leaving a 70th week kind of out there, which is, of course, the, uh, the famous tribulation period I was referring to. But my point being here is that they, could, they had a calendar. I mean, they could have taken an abacus and calculated uh, the approximate time of his birth. Now, here come these magi from the east. You know, we saw his star. And um, where is he? You know, we came to worship him. 
the whole city is troubled by this, then you would think that spiritual leaders, they would have been very fascinated and, and very eager to hear about the birth of the Messiah. But they did not take that short. Yeah, yeah, and yet. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Pastor Rich Jones from uh, Calvary um, Hillsboro, and we'll, uh, t- we'll continue our conversation on the promised Messiah with the prophets foretold. It gives us a glimpse, not only uh, backward, but certainly a glimpse forward as well. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Rich Jones, we're taking a look at prophecy and what it tells us about the coming of the Messiah and tells us about the return of the Messiah uh, as well. Now, just before the break, you were talking about the Magi uh, who understood uh, well enough that the Messiah was coming. They had followed the star. And, and I guess my, my other question about that was how widely known this promise was of the uh, Messiah to the wider world. And, and perhaps their coming answers, at least in part, that question. Well, I, I don't think it would have been necessarily known in the wider world, but certainly in Israel, and particularly the Jewish leaders who studied the scriptures and, and could quote them uh, quite abundantly and freely, and, and understood these, and, uh, and it really should have had a, a great anticipation. But I think it also kind of speaks to the uh, rather despicable nature of what was happening at the time, because Herod the Great was really uh, influencing who was high priest at the time, and there was a tremendous amount of corruption. Um, but it really spoke to the, you know, the reason that Messiah was born at all because of the the corruption of man, and so it it, it was not well known in the greater. Uh, world, but in Jerusalem it should have been known, and there's there's really the tragedy. So when these when the you know, magi come, Herod is greatly troubled by this, and it says the whole city is troubled by this, which is an interesting reaction. It's not exactly what you would think when the you know the king of the Jews has been announced. Uh, you know, to be born. By the way, when we speak of the magi, I, I like to point out kind of humorously that our our nativity scenes are are all wrong. <laughs> not that we need not that we need to throw them away, but they're they're typically wrong because you know your typical nativity scene has you know Joseph and Mary and uh you know the shepherds and they brought some sheep with them, you know usually and uh the the animals you know around them, and the three wise men and the baby infant Jesus you know there in the manger, but the scripture tells us that that when the magi came. They visited Jesus in the house, and they followed his star from the east some probably 900 miles or so. So, you know, it would have been months afterwards that they actually showed up on the scene. So if we want to make our nativity scene correct, <laughs> we really should take our wise men and put them across the room or something, you know, and then every day move them a little closer. Did they did they understand what it was that they were going to find at the end of their journey? Would they have understood? You know, it's interesting because by by, by just reading the uh, Matthew text, it sort of gives you the impression that they they kind of expected that this would have been known. It's like, hey, where is he who was born king of the Jews? It's like, hey, why isn't this city, you know, celebrating? Uh, where is he? And, uh, you know, so you kind of get that idea that, that they really expected from their view. Of course, it was a significant view because they understood um, that this king of the Jews 
was going to be him who brings peace to the world, because the king of the Jews, prophecy tells us um, that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through this promised Messiah. Now we're going to prophecies that go all the way back to Genesis, um, which speak about the enmity between the serpent and the uh, the woman, and uh, between your seed and her seed, he will bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel, Genesis 3. But then you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, where through Abraham, the son of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, Genesis 12, uh, and you go on to Genesis 28, same thing. And so, I mean, they understood how significant of an event this was, but it greatly troubled Herod, who, who uh, you know, was actually given the title King of the Jews. His, his father was personal friends with Julius Caesar, and because of that, that uh, personal connection, uh, uh, Julius Caesar then gave him the title of uh, King of the Jews, hmm. but he wasn't, and so he was greatly troubled. And uh, when he found out that the baby was to be born in Bethlehem, you know, he, he said to the Magi, you know, go and make a careful search. And uh, when you, you know, find the baby, you know, come and report to me so that I too can come and worship him. Uh, you know, he's he just no intent to do that. His idea, of course, was to destroy the child. And that connects us to Matthew chapter 12, because, excuse me, Revelation 12, because we understand what was behind Herod the Great was none other than Satan himself, desiring to to destroy the promised Messiah. Now, when the Magi were warned by God to uh, return home in a different way, as soon as Herod the Great understood that he had uh, been tricked by the Magi, so to speak, he became enraged, and this is when he made that famous decree to uh, slaughter all the uh, male infants two years uh, and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, which, uh, again, fulfilled prophecy, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a tragedy, but it does show you the spiritual warfare nature of these events. Yeah, and that's that's one element I hadn't given a lot of thought to. We know, obviously, that that there's revealed in, in Scripture, there's, the prophets spoke of what was coming. But as you've pointed out, there's a lot more going on in this story um, behind the scenes in the spirit realm than most of us uh, think about it. It kind of changes the portrait that we have of, of those early events uh, because there's more going on than what, uh, what we are able to see from our vantage point. Well, but if we look at particularly the prophecy in, uh, in Isaiah, which, you know, is one of those scriptures we love to quote uh, at Christmas time, it's prophetic in nature completely, but when you look at Isaiah 9, it really does begin to give you a, a, a much broader view. Uh, let me just, if you don't mind, let me just read it. Isaiah 9, I'm starting in verse 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Right there, you get an idea. This is very significant. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. And I love this phrase, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish mm. this. Now, I mean, we love that that pr- prophetic verse for Christmas, but when you really look at that, 
you're speaking here about the promise to Messiah and the end of the age. And uh, the enemies of God are not going to um, sit by quietly while there is a major shift in uh, in the way not only the world, time and eternity uh, have have worked. With the government resting on his shoulders and no, uh, and there will be uh, no end to the increase of that government is mm. significant. We Absolutely. cannot miss what that means because it really is unfolding before our eyes and has everything to do with what's happening in Israel today. Even this announcement uh, about the United States and the embassy in Jerusalem has everything to do with the Palestinian problem. Uh, it really is a very modern issue. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary uh, Chapel in Hillsboro. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, talking with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We're talking about God's promised Messiah and what the prophets foretold about his coming and what we can learn about uh, events uh, to follow as well. Uh, this really is a, a fascinating uh, overview of events. You know, when we began our conversation, or as I was uh, contemplating our conversation, I thought about uh, prophecy as it related specifically to the coming of the Messiah and the events that we celebrate at Christmas, but it's mu- a much um, broader, bigger story than even that. Absolutely, and it really becomes very relevant because of what we're seeing unfolding before our eyes. I think most Christians understand that the world is changing before our eyes, but also I think most Christians can spiritually discern that there is a rising storm and that there is a deep, deep evil that is arising in this world. And it really uh, uh, makes us concerned that we are seeing the signs of the times that Jesus spoke of that we should be watching so that we are made ready as a people. And and really, that's the whole idea. And uh, in fact, when you look at Jesus and his words to the uh, his Jewish leaders, it was very much a similar thing. It's like they should have seen the signs of the times and they should have known and they should have responded. So that's really the issue. Make, you got to make it personal, because um, what what is our response to that? You look at the Magi, you know, in the in the story of Matthew two, and there they are, and in, 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 we assume to be Persia, perhaps Babylon, but very likely Persia, and uh, they they perceive the star in the east, and they they discern that this is an indication that the long-awaited, long-promised, uh, the prophecies fulfilled, you know, King of Jews is born in, in Israel. Well, my point being is that they discerned it, but then they had to do something about it. Like, it's not enough just to discern it. Like, they had to get an entourage together, travel the entire 900-plus miles, you know, on camel. That's not an easy feat. But they want to go. They want to bring him gifts, you know, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They, they want to bow down. They want to worship him. All of this is to say they had to do something about it. And I think there's where we we got to get personal with the story also. Once we recognize who he is, once we see what God has done through him, like you got to do something about that. It demands a response. It demands a response, and and uh, exactly so. And of course, you look at the uh, the story of Matthew two. You see some of the other responses. Herod, uh, feeling threatened. Jewish leaders who should have known didn't do anything about it. Hard hearts again. 
revealed. In fact, uh, one of the prophecies, speaking of Jesus, is that he will reveal the hearts of many. And really, it comes back to that. It's like, we've we got to do something about it. Because there's another prophecy in Isaiah 7. Uh, in Isaiah 7, we, we also love to quote at Christmas time um, a, 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 a virgin will give birth, and this child will be called Emmanuel. Well, translated, that means God is with us. Well, that really brings us back to the very heart of God, from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. The very heart of God was to be Emmanuel, Mm -hmm. God with us, in a relationship with us. I mean, you go back to to Genesis and the fall of man and the great chasm that, that created between God and man, and then you understand that God is sending his son to do something about it by sending his son uh, you know, to be the savior of the world by literally taking the sins of the world upon himself, you know, when he died that day on Golgotha. Well, that really speaks to the, even the gifts that the Magi brought when they, when they came to honor him. The gold, of course, very fitting for a king. Um, the, the frankincense, part of the a priest's anointing oil, very uh, significant because it, it speaks to the purpose and meaning of God sending him. But the myrrh, uh, was actually used in embalming, uh, pr- the preparation for burial. Like, what a strange, <laughs> you mm-hmm. think about it, that's kind of a strange gift to bring. Merry Christmas, here's some, you know, here's some spices used in the burial process. That's unusual. Yes. Except it speaks to the very purpose and meaning that God sent him, to, you know, to, to bear the sins of the world by dying on the cross. But why did he do that? He did that so that he can be Emmanuel, so that God can have a relationship um, you know, with, with men. God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. You can't miss, you know, the heart of God behind it, um, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. So, you know, you really got to step back and see there's a, oh, there's a very big picture of what yeah. is happening here. And let me ask you if there's um, any connection between the Magi and the uh, Jewish exiles um, who may have, like Daniel and, and others, who may have informed them what the scriptures taught about the coming of the Messiah. Is there any link that can be traced as to how they might have been so well informed to those who were in exile in that area many, many, many years earlier? Well, you, you're bringing up an absolutely fantastic point, which is, uh, like, how would they have had that, mm-hmm. that particular information? Well, we know, of course, Daniel who was one of the exiles when Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon. He was one of the exiles uh, in Babylon, and uh, a man of tremendous spiritual discernment and, and wisdom. So we, we would then presume, because there's no, there's no like, historic uh, trail you know, we can specifically follow, but I think it's a very good assumption that, uh, that Daniel would have been the source uh, a lot of of uh, scriptural wisdom and knowledge. Now, what's interesting, um, you know, recently, of course, the United States has had a lot to do with Iraq, which is the location of ancient Babylon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Israel was exiled there, and uh, at the end of 70 years, they were allowed to return, but many of them did not. And in fact, even in these recent Iraq wars, there have been a significant Jewish population in Iraq. Many people, I think, are not aware of that. 
Yeah, yeah. That it came directly out of the prophecies of Daniel. So his influence was in that region. There's no question. And so, you know, could these uh, magi have had that discernment because of Daniel's influence? I, I think that's absolutely so. Mm. We're going to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Pastor Rich Jones, God's promised Messiah, what the prophets foretold. We'll be back. Is this? You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. This is the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We're talking about God's promised Messiah, what the prophets foretold. And uh, we've had a lot to think about in terms of the broader story surrounding uh, this Christmas season. Just want to give you a quick heads up. Tomorrow, Dan Rice is going to join me in studio for the uh, annual uh, Rice Family Christmas radio show. There'll be music and stories and all kinds of things. I hope you can join us then. And then on Friday, Focus on the Families, A Christmas Carol has become something of a tradition. You can enjoy that two-hour program uh, during the Georgine Rice show as well. Well, Pastor Rich, in view of uh, of what we've been talking about today and the necessity of the Magi to respond to what they had uh, had learned, they they responded in a, a significant way, making the journey uh, to uh, to Bethlehem. What should our response be in light of those events, the the birth of Christ, the events surrounding His birth, and the anticipation of His return? Well, absolutely excellent question because. It's important for us to, to recognize the personal nature of mm-hmm. the Christmas story. And, and the personal nature has to be our response to it. And, you know, when we give, when we give Christmas gifts, right, the, the idea of exchanging gifts is, is a big part of Christmas. And you trace the giving of gifts, uh, you trace it all the way back to the Magi. Now, you look at the story of the Magi and you think, well, um, wait a minute. Where's the exchanging of gifts? I mean, it seems like they're just giving, it's a one-way thing. Mm -hmm. They're just giving gifts to the Messiah. Where did we get the idea of exchanging gifts? Oh, let's step back and look at the bigger picture. Because they're responding to the fact that God has now given a gift to the, the world when he sent his son. That's the point, right? So God is sending this gift. And everything, you can just imagine God saying, everything that I give to you, I give to you, my son. He who has the son has it all. Yeah. I give to you forgiveness of sin. I give to you relationship with the Almighty. I give to you the adoption of sons and daughters. He who has the son has it all. Everything that I have for you is found in my son. That's a gift. It's open. It's free. Just receive it. Now, it's an exchange. We should give something in return. Well, one of the things we, we look at the story of the Magi, and I think people sometimes overlook is that they gave another gift. It wasn't just their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave another gift. They worshipped him. They gave their hearts. Yes, yes. There is a great part of the story. What is it that God wants in response to the giving of the Son? Well, he wants your heart. You know, you, you can't give anything that would come close to the value of what you received, but you should still give it. For example, you remember the story of when uh, Jesus uh, healed the ten lepers. Mm-hmm. So here's ten, I mean, leprosy. I mean, can you just imagine what that would have meant to their lives? What terrible, tragic uh, consequences, right? He sees these ten lepers, and he said, now go and show yourself to the priest, and, uh, you know, as prescribed in, in the law. So as they're going their way, they're healed. One of them is taken by what has happened, and he 
just has to do something about it. He's got to go back, right? He goes back. Why? Because he wants to say thank you. Just got to do it. I got to say thank you. Jesus, of course, said, were there not ten? Where are the other nine? What is he saying? He's recognizing the significance of what's happening here. He's saying thank you, and that meant so much. Yeah. Right? So can you give a gift that's commensurate to the gift you received from God? No. But you can give thanks. You can honor you can give worship. You can give your heart. You can love. Isn't that what God was giving to us? God loved the world so much that he gave. Love was behind it. I mean, love should be our response to it. Uh, God demonstrated, Romans 5, God demonstrated his love in that Christ died for us when we were his enemies. We can't do anything commensurate, but so what? You should do it anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give thanks. Give honor. Give love. Because that is, I mean, you really see the heart of God pursuing. See, to me, it's a tremendous thing when you think, God pursuing sinners? I mean, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, for a lot of people, that does not compute. Because God is holy, and I'm a sinner. Why in the world would God pursue a relationship with me? But when you understand that, you understand God's heart of why he sent his son. God loved the world. Why? Because he made them in his image. And his heart is glorified through that pouring out of his love upon those who would receive it. I mean, we got to see it personally. we got to yeah. respond to it. Yeah. Now, for listeners who maybe don't have a church home or uh, they don't have plans to worship um, over this holiday weekend, what's happening over at uh, Calvary Chapel? Well, we have, <laughs> we have a lot of services. So we have uh, this weekend, we have Saturday night service, our usual Saturday night service at 7. We have the three morning services at 8, 9, 30, 11, 15. We have the two afternoon services at 4 and at 6. So um, ample, ample opportunities. Hey, this is Christmas, right? This is opportunity to honor the Son, and that we should do. Let's, let's honor the Son uh, that God has sent by giving him praise and worship and giving him our heart and giving him thanks. And that's what we're going to do. So you're welcome. Well, to God. And I, I know you're a great Bible teacher. I always enjoy uh, listening to you. And the music there is great. So if you're looking for a place to celebrate, Calvary Chapel Hillsboro is a great uh, opportunity to come together with fellow believers to do just that, to respond personally with thanksgiving and worship. Uh, before God. Pastor Jones, I so appreciate your joining us here today. I'm looking forward to the coming year and having you back. There are a lot of things I think uh, we could uh, we could discuss that I think would be edifying and enlightening to our listeners. So I hope you'll uh, pencil us in on the calendar. Let's do it. I really want to talk about what's happening in Jerusalem and uh, the relationship to the United States. I think uh, your listeners might be fascinated to see the biblical connection. Uh, We will definitely do that. Hey, thank you so much, and Merry Christmas. God bless you. Thank you so much. Hey, Dan's going to be on tomorrow. That's exciting. (laughs) It's going to be fun. (laughs) It will be. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Again, Pastor Rich Jones, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. You can check him out online to find out which service fits your time and schedule. Hey, we're out of time. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a portion of uh, and producing all of today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times 
on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.